Hi, I'm Marty McKenzie with His Love Ministries. Welcome to the Least of These Podcasts. We reach out to those the world has forgotten. If you'd like to know more about us and how you can donate to help us fulfill our mission, go to hisloveministries.net. Thank you very much and God bless you. Everybody doing this morning? All right. If you have your Bibles with you today, uh, turn to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. If you know anything about the uh, book of First and John, it's basically a book of a lot of tests, a lot of tests to make sure that we are in the faith, that we know Jesus Christ for sure, and that we're not dependent on some God that is not the right one. First John, he, uh, John is the same disciple that, that Jesus loved, and, and when Jesus, when John wrote this book, he wrote it because he was kind of a, you know, his basic plot in life was to be a net mender. And he was kind of coming back that, you know, anything about this particular period of time. There was a lot of stuff going on in the church. There was a lot of false heresies, a lot of false teaching going on. Just as today, we've had that Da Vinci Code come out, and I hate to even bring the name up, but, you know, unfortunately, so many people today are being swayed by so many things and they don't know what to believe. They don't know why they believe it. They, they, you know, the Bible says to always be ready to give a reason for the hope that's in you. And so many people today don't know what they believe, why they believe it, or anything else. But most of these people, they think they're going to heaven. It's like some of the people we talked to one day over in some apartments. They said they were going to heaven. They said, well, how do you get there? What's the, what's the requirements? They didn't understand. You know, it's like saying I live in Atlanta, but you don't know how to get there. So bottom line is, is when John wrote this, he was writing it to combat basically an early form of Gnosticism. And that's what this Da Vinci book's all about. It's about Gnosticism. It's about a bunch of lies. It's about a bunch of things trying to tell us that the church has changed things. I won't even go into all the rest of it, but it's basically trying to change the true gospel into the false gospel. As we think about the Gnosticism, there was two kinds of Gnostics. There was the the Gnosticism means knowledge. It means basically they thought they had this super knowledge. When you run across somebody that thinks they've got the answer to it all to follow them, and they've got some kind of super knowledge to, to follow them and to be with them, and they'll show you the right way, you're probably behind somebody that's a cult leader. This Gnosticism it was a preoccupation with deliverance from, from matter, from the flesh. And they were saying there was, you know, two groups of these people. There was ascetics. One of them said that basically that whatever you wanted, to, that the flesh was evil and that we were to deny it totally and completely. We, they, they wouldn't clothe themselves properly, they wouldn't feed themselves, they wouldn't put the blankets on at night, they would kind of try to stay cold or whatever, and they would just try to mortify or kill the flesh, the desires of the flesh. They thought by doing this they were going to get a little bit closer to heaven. But then there was the other group, the Doeticists, and basically what they said is if it feels good, do it. Of course, we know which group was more popular, right? That's, That's easy to see. But, you know, they were saying that matter was inherently evil. 
And so by this logic, they said that Jesus could not have come into flesh, that Jesus uh, was just a mirage, or that Jesus left that flesh right before he went on the cross. And so they came up with all of these lies to just basically say that what we've been saying for 2,000 years, back in those days, it was about close to 80 or 90 years because John was an old man by that time. But they were trying to say that it was all lies, that it was just a bunch of lies. And they had the right way. Of course, we know there's many people today saying that very same thing. And so John, he's kind of a net mender. That was his occupation. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to mend what these other people are trying to tear up. As we know that this book was written, one of them, one of the reasons it was written is in chapter 1, verse 4. John wrote that we are writing this that your joy may be complete or full. Chapter 2, he says, my little children, I'm writing to you so that you may not sin. In chapter 2, verse 26, he says, I write this to the, about those who would deceive you. And then the greatest reason he writes this is in chapter 5, verse 13. He says, I write this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. You could know that you have eternal life. And, you know, it's a shame today that so many people are walking around today thinking they're going to heaven, they think they're going, going to get there, that they know Jesus. And John's writing this book to let us know that not everybody's going to heaven. There's a lot of false teachers out there. There's a lot of people that are deceiving. There's a lot of deceived people. And we need to examine ourselves to see whether we're in the faith or not. And so John's trying to bring us back to that which was in the beginning. Let's read the first four verses of 1 John chapter 1. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life was which, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. So today we want to talk about biblical view of Jesus. That's the title of our message today, A Biblical View of Jesus. And so today, as we look at that, or it's, you could also title it A Test of Genuine Fellowship. Basically, 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 through 4 is a, is a test or a defense of the humanity of Christ. The test of believing that Jesus has come into flesh and... I just wanted to read something to you this morning. I tried to find it in the hymn book, and I couldn't find it. And I had hoped we could all just read it together. But I want to read to you the Nicene Creed. It says, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, Begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us, men for our salvation, 
came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into the heavens and he sits at the right hand of the Father and he shall come again with glory to judge the quick and the dead whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy, universal, and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. And I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Today I find that so many of us don't know what we believe and why we believe it. There's about six to ten, depending upon what you, how you divide it up, there's about six to ten things that we really need to come to understand if we believe that Jesus Christ is really real and we're really saved. And I, that encompasses all of them. You know, he was born of a virgin, that scriptures were perfect, inspired, and, and that he died bodily. He rose again on the third day. He's coming back, that he's all God, he's all man. You know, he's born of a virgin. Those are the kind of things that we need to truly come to know and understand if we're truly saved. Because those are some of the unbendables of the doctrines. But you know, today, turn over in 1 John chapter 4. That's right there. Y'all can turn right there. I want y'all to read, look at this right here. Look in verse 1. It says, Beloved... Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world." People that don't believe Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, they're of the Antichrist. He was all God, 100% God, and he was 100% man. You know, and that's what John's trying to tell us right here. Today we want to talk about three things today. We want to talk about a relationship, a fellowship, and the joy that follows. And in verse 1 here, we, and 2, we want to talk about a relationship. That which was from the beginning. I, I believe there's three beginnings at least in the Bible. The, in, in the, and it says in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the world as we know it, right? John, same John, he wrote in John 1, 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God. In chapter, in verse 14, he says, And we beheld The Word became flesh and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And and that was that beginning from eternity past, always that Jesus had existed. He was the Word of God. And then here He talks about that which was from the beginning. He wants to tell us that, that, that the message hasn't changed. That which was from the beginning, that which we have heard, we have seen with our eyes, we have looked upon, our hands have handled Concerning the word of life, that Jesus was real. You can't, you can't touch a spirit, can you? 
You know, so many people are into ghosts. We got ghost tours and everything else around town and people are just preoccupied with a bunch of weird things. You can't touch a spirit. But, but John was the disciple who laid back on Jesus' chest and, and reclined at the table with him. He was the one he ate with. He, he, you know, they hung out with. He was there all the time with them. And over and over and over again, they wouldn't have been hanging out with a ghost. They'd have been hanging out with a spirit. They'd have been hanging out with Jesus, with a real person. And that's who they were hanging out with. He says, that which was from the beginning. He says the beginning of the message of Jesus Christ to the apostles. That's the beginning we're talking about. Look in your Bibles in Luke chapter 24, verse 39. Luke 24, verse 39. And he said, Behold my hands and my feet, that is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And look at verse 42. He says, so they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and he ate it in their presence. A spirit doesn't eat. He told Thomas, remember Thomas said, unless I see and, and I touch him and I handle him and I put my hands in his side, he says, I will not believe. And Jesus said, come Thomas. Put your hands in my side and touch me and feel me and, and put your hands on me. And, and Thomas said, my Lord and my God. He realized he had sinned, that he was wrong. They heard him. They were with him every day. They heard the message of Jesus Christ. They saw him with their eyes. They looked upon him. And their hands have handled concerning the word of life. Jesus is the word He's the word of life. Talks over and over. Jesus, John said he's the word. Over Revelation, he said he had a name written on his chest. He was the word of life. And you know what? Jesus is God's message to us. He's both the messenger and the message. You know, if you want to turn over to Hebrews chapter 1, just a few books to your left there. If you want to turn over there in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1. And look right there, it says, and, and God who at various times and various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son whom he has appointed heir of all things to whom he also made the worlds who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus is God's word to us. He spoke to us. Colossians 1.15 says he's the image, the express image of the invisible God. And so Jesus is the word. He speaks to us the very things that God wants us to know. He spoke to us that message. He spoke that word of life. He's the word of life. Jesus not only created us, right? I was trying to think about that. I thought about that this morning. I said, Jesus not only gave us physical light, life because it says here that he made everything, right? He spoke the worlds into being. But he spoke the word of God to us. And he came down from God as the word. You know, we think about Jesus. He gives us eternal life also. 
How does he give us eternal life? He died on that cross for our sins. And that's the only way we can get to heaven. I was in the jail Wednesday, and I was telling, I said, I said, people think they're going to get to heaven by being baptized, by taking communion, by you know, doing good works, by trying to keep the, keep the Ten Commandments, by not being as good, bad as so-and-so over here, by uh, doing more good. I said, you know, if I was, I was Bill Gates or whoever the richest man in the world is, and I gave all my money away to all the charities, all the churches, all the ones that were, you know, preaching the Word of God or doing anything good for anybody, and I gave it all away, I wouldn't be that much closer to heaven. And, and he said to me, he says, well, how do you get there? And that's the same thing a lot of people believe today. Man, I thought, boy, one day I was going to join the church. I was going to clean up my life. I was going to be okay. I didn't know that Jesus had died for my sins. He died in my place. And that was the only way I could get to heaven because you got to be perfect to get into heaven. I'm not perfect. Anybody in here perfect? No. If you think you are, you better back up and think again. Because all of us have done something wrong in thought, in word, or in deed. Somehow you thought something mean about somebody. Or somebody needed some help and they, you didn't help them. The Bible says that him that knows to do good and doesn't do it, that's sin. Jesus said if you've uh, called somebody a fool or rocker or empty-headed, thought about adultery in your mind, you, you've committed it already. Jesus raised the standard in the New Testament. And so we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. But Jesus is the one that gives us eternal life. He's the one. And he says that life was manifested to us. The life was manifested to us. Look, he says, for we did not follow, First, Second Peter 1.16, for we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. The only way you're going to get to heaven is by having a relationship with the one who gives eternal life. And that's Jesus Christ. Jesus said over in John, He said, this is eternal life that they may know you, the true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. People go one day, they're going to say, man, we did signs, wonders, and miracles. We cast out demons in your name. And Jesus is going to say, depart from me. I never what? Knew you. This is a relationship that they've got going on here. They've got a relationship going on. That word know is an intimate word. It doesn't just refer to a sexual word, but it refers to an intimate knowledge of somebody. You know, I know who... President Bush is, but I don't know him intimately. I don't know what he's really like on the inside. I know a lot of people, but I don't know them to say that I have a real relationship with them. So I want to ask you today, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you know him? You know how you get to know Jesus? You trust Him. You ask Him to save you. You ask Him to forgive you. And, and then you read His Word. You study the Word. And as you study and read this Word and, and grow in it, you come to know who He is, what he, what he stood for, what He did for us, what we're to do, how we're to behave. That's a relationship. Man, you can't just you know, be married or, or live in a family 
and be a child or a father or a husband or whatever and not have a relationship with the person that you're married to or you're living with as far as a family member, like a child or a parent. you got to have a relationship. If you don't have a relationship, it's not a family. We sing that song, I'm so glad to be a part of the family of God. And it's, and it's a family. Because if you have a relationship with somebody, you're related to them. And you have a family. Jesus gives us eternal life and we become a part of the family of God. And we have a relationship with Him. Not only do we have a a, a relationship with Him, but look in verse 3. We have a fellowship. He said, That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. I want you just look at something real quick. Well, I kind of skipped it while ago. But look what he says up here in verse 1. He says, That which we have heard, we have seen with our eyes, we have looked upon, our hands have handled. Look at verse 2. He said, The life was manifest. The word was, the life was shown to us, how we are to live. He said, We have seen and we bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. I mean, he says, we, we declare to you, it was shown to us. Then verse 3 says, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. And then look at verse 5. We're not going to talk about verse 5 today, but this says, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you. You think he wants to understand that this is the message which they had heard, they had seen Jesus, they had been with him, they declared to us. They had seen the life Shown how to live. Jesus showed us how to live. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in just a second. But as you enter into eternal life, what he says here, he says, Declare to you that eternal life was which with the Father and was manifested to us. We declare that to you that you may have fellowship with us. So entering into eternal life produces two results. First of all, it produces Fellowship with fellow believers. And then secondly, it produces fellowship with the Father and the Son. What does it say in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4? He said, we have been made partakers of the divine nature. You know what? If you've trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've been made a partaker of the divine nature. That you have God living in you. He says that you have everything that pertains to life and godliness. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So what is fellowship? First of all, it's a partnership. It's a sharing of mutual interest, mutual resources, mutual labor together. God and I working together. Everything that God has has is at my disposal. How about that? Everything that I have is at his disposal. Remember what Jesus said? He said, anybody that has followed him and looking back is not worthy of the gospel. He says, take up your cross daily, deny yourself and follow him. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. And unless we totally give 
our life. You know, Jesus said it's a free gift, right? Salvation is a free gift. He says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, by grace you have been saved. It is not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, lest anyone should boast. But then in verse 10, he says, we are God's workmanship, created to do good works. And so the bottom line is, is it doesn't cost us anything to get in. God offers it as a free gift. But then, once we get in, it requires us to give our life for Him, right? That's why most people won't trust Christ. It's because they don't want to give the rest of their life up. But you know, the Bible says, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? I want to give my life to Jesus now and then have eternity. I don't want to try to get this world and have hell forever. You know, that's the choices you have. That's the choices. But everything that I have is at His disposal. Everything that He has is at my disposal. You know what it says over in Ephesians 3.20, right? It says, but He is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think according to His power. His power, that word power is the word dynamite. That works in us. That word works is the word energy. He says according to the energy of the dynamite that works in us. This in us. We've got dynamite power. We're spiritually rich. But yes, so many Christians are walking around like they don't have any power to overcome sin and suffering and temptation. But if you've got Jesus Christ, you've got everything. You've got it all. Everything that pertains to life and godliness. You know, but it's not only a partnership, but there's also a friendship. Was that old song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, right? I mean, we got a friend, right? I mean, it talks about it at Romans 4 that, that Abraham was called the friend of God. How about us? Are we friends of God? But friendship and partnership spells fellowship. You know, you ever thought about that? That Jesus wants us to be his friend, right? It says over in John 15, 15, I have not called you servants anymore, but I call you friends. We're no longer servants, but we're friends. Man, you know what? When nobody else is around, when nobody is there, in the toughest times you'll ever have in your life, it seems like to be Nobody's around but Jesus. you got two choices. You can either depend on him or depend on the people going to let you down about every time. Because we're going to let you down all the time. Not all the time, but eventually we'll let you down. None of us is perfect, right? But you know what? Jesus showed us perfectly how to live that life. That life that was manifested. I, I want to read this one little thing right here because it... If I, I read it to you, it says it a whole lot better, and I can just tell you off the top of the head. But it says, Jesus shows us the life that man is intended to live. A continual, a continual dependence upon the life of the Father. Look at the earthly life of Jesus, and this is exactly what you see. He keeps saying, I do not do these things. It is not I who accomplishes these works. It is the Father who dwells in me. That's John 14, 10. He is continually reminding people 
that he says only what the Father is saying through him, that they are not his words. Who speaks through our mouth? He simply looked to God and trusted God to be working through him, leading him to think the thoughts, to say the things that God wanted him to say. In doing this, he expressed exactly the mind of God. That's right, to think the thoughts, to say the things. It is this life that John is talking about, a new way of living, a new way of reacting to situations in total dependence upon God. How do we live our life? Do we only say what the Father wants us to say? Do we only think the thoughts that the Father wants us to think? Do we only do the things that the Father wants us to do? That's what makes a Christian. That's what John will say over and over and over again throughout this this whole book. That we share a life by relationship to a person. The only person who has that life, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And as we live that life, what are we going to do? He said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me, right? So we're going to follow and we're going to obey and we're going to love our brethren. We're going to do all these things that that God says we're going to do through John here in this Bible, in, in 1 John. And so there's a fellowship. And that's so awesome. Not only do we have fellowship with God, but we got fellowship with other believers too, right? Think about it. Talks about that over in Hebrews chapter 10. Don't forsake the assembling together as is the habit of some, but, but gather together and so much more so as the day approaches. If we don't get together and strengthen each other and be that body of Christ and, and partner together or give our mutual resources and partner together to help each other, and that's where we're so sadly lacking as a church, all churches today. We come in, we shake hands, we say hey, and we live two houses down from somebody and we never spend any time with them. We don't know who they are. We don't fellowship with people. We don't have the relationship with other believers. We don't have the strength of the church behind us. When something happens in the church, people don't come together and gather around that person. Or if they do, they only do it for a short little while and then they're gone. And then that person is left out there holding the bag, trying to say, what am I going to do now? You know, when something happens, sometimes the early, the easiest part is the first part. Because you're kind of in shock. You, you know, but then as time wears on, then it gets real. And there's nobody around. But we have that ability to fellowship. You know, and that fellowship is because we have the Holy Spirit in us. If we got a Holy Spirit in us, our spirit speaks to other people. You know, and there's this guy I used to work with, and all the time, you know, sometimes I get busy, and I, I don't come up and I say, Hey, uh, how's your family? How you doing? Good morning this morning. How are you? I kind of go up and say, Hey, did you get that thing done? How, you know, what, is, what story on this? This friend of mine, he always says, good morning, Marty. How are you, Marty? Nice to see you this morning, Marty. And I say, did you get that thing done? <laughs> and this guy, we were always kind of running back and forth, and I'd always ask him to do stuff for me. And he just, you know, he was always doing One day after I left the place of work, about a year, year and a half later, he emailed me and was interested in some nursing home ministry, and and I realized at that time, I said, you know, there was something I liked about that guy. I didn't realize at the time he was a Christian. 
But there was always something. He was always helping me, and I always knew there was something I liked about him. I guess he must have liked me because he always helped me a lot, do a lot of things. But, you know, the bottom line was, was we had a fellowship. My spirit was speaking to his spirit. And your spirit can speak to other people because you have the Holy Spirit living in you. That's that fellowship with other believers. You know, it's just not coming and eating and hanging out. But it's growing each other, strengthening each other, being there for each other. And then the last thing we want to talk about is a joy that follows. Look in verse 4 and he says, These things we write to you that your joy may be full. Your joy may be full. I hear people all the time talking about being happy. You know what the word hap means, don't you? It means luck. Do you know that? So I'm happy if everything's going my way. But if not, things aren't going my way, guess what? I might not be too happy. But you know what joy is? Joy is that deep down settled excitement. That, that feeling that no matter what happens, it's all going to be okay because I, I got Jesus. You know, I got a friend of mine that he told me one time, he said he thought he was having heart problems. And I said, well, how are you doing? And what did the doctor say? Are you okay? And he says, well, I think so. But you know what the good news is? If not, I'll be in heaven before you will. <laughs> That's joy. Joy is knowing that all things work together for good, that God's in control and it's all going to be okay no matter what. It's going to be okay. Part of that joy, it comes from that relationship. It comes from that fellowship. But it also comes from being used of God. Do you know that? There's a lot of people that are Christians that are not, that don't have the joy. They don't have the peace. They don't have that abundant life that God promised them, Jesus promised them. And you know why? Because they're not listening to God. They don't have that fellowship with God and with other believers. And they're not doing what God asked them to do. And, and you can't have that joy. You can't have that abundant life, that peace, unless you're doing what God's called you to do. Yeah, I remember one time when I was, I guess as I was being called to the ministry... You know, I'd gotten a lot of bad advice from some folks. and But God, you know, he just kept, I kept hearing preach, preach. And I kept thinking, is this just me I got it in my head or is this you, God? And people just kept giving me all this bad advice. And I was like, but it just kept coming back. You know, God say, preach, preach. And I'm like, you got to be kidding who, me, God? And, and I remember Shelly one time, my wife, telling me, she said, she said, I think the reason you're so miserable is because you're not doing what God called you to do. I think you're supposed to be preaching. That was very true because I was not doing what God called me to do. See, I was a younger Christian back then. I didn't understand as much as I understand now about the Word of God. But God puts those desires in your heart when you follow Him. And if he puts a desire in your heart to do something good and it lines up with his Bible and it's not sin and it's not wrong and he's, you got a desire to help somebody to do something, I'm sure God put that desire in there. Ain't nothing wrong with doing that. And if you follow God and do what he called you to do, you're going to have that joy. 
And that's what John's writing here about that joy. Jeremiah 15, 16 says, Your words were found, and I ate them, and your word was to me the joy and rejoicing in my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. So joy is independent from circumstances. The world can be falling apart around me. And as long as I know that I'm doing what I'm supposed to and following Jesus, you know, we can't control this world. We can't control circumstances. We don't know what's going to happen. I was trying to find this song and think about this song as I close today. You know, there was a song that I heard a long time ago, and it said, The doubts were settled long ago. It's real, it's real. I know it's real. Thank God it's real. And I know my relationship is real because I have a fellowship with God. I have a relationship with God. I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you know what? I got that joy that follows. I just want to ask you today, do you have a biblical view of Jesus? And are you related to Him? Because you believe that He trusted, He died on that cross, and, and you've trusted Him as your personal Lord and Savior. I pray a lot of times, and sometimes I just don't have the best medium in the, in the uh, jails and prisons to you know, have invitations and stuff, but a lot of times I'll just say, guys, you know, right where you're at, just... If you truly believe, I try to make it as clear as I can, you know, just where you're at today. Pray quietly in your heart, in your mind, between you and God. And, and I ask people to ask Jesus to be the Lord of their life, the boss of their life, because we need somebody to tell us how to live, because we always make a mess of it. And a lot of times when I pray that, sometimes people will be praying out loud, and all of a sudden it gets kind of quiet when I get to that part. Because people don't want a Lord. People don't want a boss. But you know the Bible says that one day every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. So you can either confess Him now and become related to Him. Have that fellowship, that joy. And you can confess Him as your Lord and your Savior. Or one day you can come to that place where you stand before God and Jesus says, Depart from me, I never knew you. That's your choice. I heard a man say that eternity is like a, little, like a bird. He flies to the moon about 90,000 miles, right? He comes back. And when as he comes back, he picks up a little grain of sand. Off the, off the ground here on earth. And then he flies to the moon and then he comes back and he picks up another one. And then he flies back. By the time he empties out all the sands of the earth, eternity has just begun. You got that? Eternity has just begun. 90,000 miles there, 90,000 miles back. Take the fastest bird that can fly, maybe 160 miles an hour. Flies to the moon and back. Gonna be a while. In all that time, eternity has just begun. But you know, we're only gonna live how long? I've heard it said that only uh, one person in two billion lived to be 116 years old. Personally, I don't wanna live that long. 
I'll go be with Jesus long before that happens. I hope he comes back soon myself. But you know what? Are you going to be ready? Do you have a relationship with Jesus, with the Father, with the Holy Spirit? Do you have the fellowship with them, with other believers? And do you have that joy? I can't answer that question for you. Unfortunately, it's like I tell guys in the jail, I said, if I could give you what I got, I'd give every one of y'all what I got. But I can't give it to you. You know, the Bible says that salvation is a free gift. What you got to do to get it? You got to come get it, right? I need to come get it for myself. I can't come get it for you. I got to come get my gift. But you know what? Also, a gift is free, right? But we always try to pay for stuff. You know, if I brought a gift in here for every one of y'all this morning, I said, here it is. You reached in your back pocket, said, let me pay you, Marty. Let me give you a couple of bucks on that. I'd be insulted because it was a gift, right? But you know what? It's the same way with Jesus, same way with God. He says you can either have it free or you can't have it at all. You know, the choice is yours. Choice is yours. I'm going to tell you what. You know, living on both sides of the track, without Jesus and with Jesus. There's that old song, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have Jesus than riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than anything. How about you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this time today. I thank you for what Jesus did on that cross. And I pray today, Lord, if there's somebody, anybody, that is not related to you because they have trusted in that death, that burial, and that resurrection that speaks of the gospel as the death, the burial, and the resurrection for our sins over in 1 Corinthians 15, that if they have not trusted in you, when you died on that cross, you said it's finished. Our debt has been paid in full. And all we need to do is come trust you. And at that moment, instead of being bankrupt sinners, we become legally righteous in your eyes. We become saints in your eyes because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Because you said there was no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. I pray today, Lord, for those that maybe don't know Jesus today, that they would trust you, that they would come to know you as Lord and Savior that they would come to find out it's great to have a boss. Because, man, you don't have to make decisions you don't know anything about. Because Jesus knows it all. He knows the beginning to the end. And he can tell exactly what to do, when to do it, how to do it, where to do it. And, and he can make it all happen. But, Lord, I, I also pray for us as Christians that we would listen to you. We would hear you. We would have that fellowship with you as you ask us to do and said we would have if we trusted you. We would have that fellowship with other believers and we would become the body of Christ that you wanted us to be. That we would be the family of God. We wouldn't be just a bunch of people that meet in a building because that's not what a church is. A church is a bunch of people that are rightly related to a God through Jesus Christ. And they're rightly related to each other because they care for each other. They love each other. And Lord, I pray that as we do that, that you would show us what to do, show us how to live as you said you would, and that we would have that joy, that peace that passes all understanding. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.
Today, if you would like to come forward, Joe will be up here, I'll be up here. I'm sure we've got some counselors. Let me tell you what. There is no, maybe somebody thinks you're already saved. Maybe you've come to realize you haven't been saved. But you know what, I'd rather be embarrassed if you could be embarrassed. You know what, people will be joyous for you if you come and you say, I'm not really truly saved. You think, well, people think I'm already saved. Maybe they do. But you know what, they'll be more happy. There won't be any embarrassment. They'll be more happy to know that you've truly been saved and you're going to heaven rather than to find out one day that you didn't make it because you wouldn't, you wouldn't come forward and you went to hell. Hi, I'm Marty McKenzie with His Love Ministries. Please help us reach out to those the world has forgotten. Everyone we minister to is locked up in some way, shape, or form. Those in the nursing home facilities are locked up in bodies that do not work in a wheelchair or in a bed. We minister to children and youth who are locked up because of behavioral problems. Some have told us we want to have a real family because their parents have lost or given up custody of them. Other kids are locked up because they've committed crimes. We also minister to those locked up at the jails and the prisons, to those locked up in addictions, to drugs, alcohol, depression, and suicidal thoughts, to those locked up in a variety of other things that keep them from becoming who Jesus wants them to be. He came to give us abundant life, joy, and set us free, and these people that we minister to are not free. Our desire is to show them whatever their background, no matter what they've done, to see how much God loves them. We seek to help them receive forgiveness and freedom from their sin in Jesus Christ. We minister in the local area of Savannah, Georgia, and surrounding Effingham and Chatham area. We have recently expanded our ministry to to the Lexington and Columbia, South Carolina area. We do over 2,000 services every year. We hope and pray that you will support us in some way that so we can continue our mission. Go to hisloveministries.net and click on the Donate Now button or send it via regular mail to Post Office Box 1881, Lexington, South Carolina, 29071. We hope and pray that you will do that. Thank you and God bless you. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. John 8, 32.